You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary-trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. For those of you who uh, haven't been here, we are in a series called Belonging to Him, uh, about belonging to God. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, how does that affect us personally? How does that affect our, the way we belong to other people, the relationships that we're in with other people? And so I'm taking a lot of familiar themes for those of you who have studied the Bible, uh, been Christians, uh, that you may be familiar with, the salvation story, uh, the gospel, and I'm looking at them through the lens of relationship. Uh, the assertion is that relationship, personal relationship, is the deepest need of the human heart. So that behooves us to look at the scriptures through the eyes of relationship. What does that look like? And so this, these three weeks, this is the third week, we are in a, a subsection of the series where we are looking at the opposite of belonging, uh, aloneness. Uh, separation from God, sin, uh, some of the darker areas of, of the human condition and history as a result of being alone, being separated from God from other people. Uh, the, the first two weeks of that have been uh, pretty dark and hard to, hard to deal with because that's the, the world that we live in, uh, but that's the reality that we need to assess. Uh, today is uh, the, the, the end of that, so to speak. Uh, it's going to be a little more hopeful because we're going to be talking about God's answer for our aloneness in the cross. Uh, the title this morning is Belonging to Him Through the Cross. And to start out, I want to read you a story. And it is here. And so you'll indulge me here. This is about a woman. And it says, She was alone. She belonged to no one. Well, she did have a boyfriend she lived with. But he was just one in a long line of men and she, who she tried to cling to and failed. Sure, he was with her now, but eventually he was going to leave her too. And she didn't exactly live in a town that accepted her either. Shacking up with some strange guy didn't help. They were pretty religious in this small town. Religious, small town, not the best combination for somebody like her especially the women. What was it about the judgment of women? Sure, women didn't usually start wars or lay conquests to helpless nations, but emotionally, the way they could eviscerate you with a knowing look or with subtle words behind your back. And the women in her town hated her. Not that being a woman in her world had much value anyway. Women were childbearers. Servants to unending dirt and hungry bellies. And that was all well and good as far as it went, 
But their destiny, their well-being, even their very lives were subject to the whims of a culture who thought them little more than a tool to be used and discarded. She didn't like her life in this small religious town, but even if she wanted to leave, where would she go? People with her racial and religious background were hated by the folks in the nearby areas. They actually had a common ancestry, but her group was mixed with foreign blood, and so the purebloods hated the mixed breeds, and so they hated her. She was a woman without a husband, without a community, who was hated for her race, her gender, her religion, hated for virtually everything that she knew herself to be. And so, she fully expected to be alone in the heat of the day when she came from a small Samaritan town to draw water from the well of Jacob. But there she met a holy man who knew everything about what she ever had done. He knew the truth about her religion, her race, her gender, her failed relationships. And yet he still spoke to her when no one else would. Knowing everything about her, he still chose to believe in her. He knew what she really thirsted for. And he offered her the living water of eternal belonging. He then revealed himself for who he was, Jesus, God's anointed, the Messiah. But how could it be that God's Messiah could invite someone like her to belong? How could he understand her life of loneliness and rejection? Because he was rejected too. This is the prophecy you may have seen from Isaiah 53, predicting the life of the Messiah. It says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ emptied himself of the joys of eternal belonging to be despised and rejected of men. He was born amidst the sexual scandal of adultery and illegitimacy. The first public witnesses to his birth were shepherds among the lowest social outcasts in that culture. 
He grew up and he entered into ministry and he was rejected by the people in his hometown. He was doubted by his own parents and his brothers. He was accused of demon possession and schizophrenia. He was misunderstood over and over by his own disciples. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied and cursed by Peter. He was finally abandoned by nearly everybody who loved him. He was condemned by a corrupt court of law. He suffered one of the most unjust and brutal executions in history. He was then rejected by God himself, left utterly alone. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was alone so that we could belong to him. He came to restore us to relationship with God by dying on the cross. He opened the door for us to belong by experiencing utter aloneness from God. But leading up to his death on the cross, Jesus also spent his whole life joining mankind in their aloneness. He identified with the pain of aloneness. When he met that woman at the well, he understood what she was going through. He wasn't above her suffering, her aloneness, the prejudice that she received. He knew it. He identified with her pain. And he then invited all who were alone, like this woman, to belong to him. He was rejected so that we could belong. Galatians 3 says, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Part of the effects of the fall of sin, of our autonomy, doing things our own way, has been aloneness, separation, prejudice, racial prejudice, religious prejudice, male and female, right? This woman was a prime example of somebody who was alone because of the results of the fall and also alone because of the results of some of her own life choices. And if you, we looked at the account, we could see that they have this little play going on where they're talking about spiritual things and physical things. They're at a well, so they're talking about water. And Jesus finally says, look, I got water that's different than this well. I have living water where no one's ever going to thirst again. And he talks about water that leads to eternal life. He gets, he gets spiritual on her. And she says, well, <laughs> give me that water. I'd like to have that water. And I love how he responds to her request for living water. He says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know you don't have a husband. He's kind of using his, his spiritual discernment here because he hadn't met her before. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. So in response to her request for spiritual 
salvation or living water, he addresses her aloneness. Right? The fact that she was alone, she wasn't in a good relationship, but that her life was just enmeshed in the consequences of separation from God and from others. So she was impressed. She said, you're a prophet. That You know something about me I didn't know that you knew. But him addressing the, the fundamental area of her relational need, her separation, her bad choices, but also the fact that you know, the story that I told in the beginning is really just an interpretation of how this woman probably lived, if you understood some of those things. That was her life. And so he was addressing her spiritual need by starting with her fundamental relational need, her aloneness. And so she responded to living water out of the roots of her relational need. And he came to her, we don't see that in the text, but he wasn't telling her about all the persecution that he had experienced or his own aloneness. But we respond to people who understand what we're going through. The people who get our need, people that walk alongside of us and say, hey, man, I've been there. And whether he explained that to the woman or not, I think that kind of comes across when somebody approaches you that way. You, you kind of get where people, when people empathize with you. This is the Jesus who lived a life of aloneness to invite others to belong. He was an effective person to invite people because he could identify with them. He had lived that life. So the cross is absolutely crucial to our faith, but I want you to see that Jesus' life lived, was lived in a, in a way where the cross was just the end result of a life that was lived in sacrifice, such that people could belong, such that there wouldn't be any more racial, gender, prejudice, etc., religious that we all could be one, that we all could belong. That, that's the heart of this new covenant that Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, he wasn't supposed to be talking to women like this, certainly Samaritan women. He was taking this new reality, this new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, into the world. Before he ever went to the cross, he treated people in such a way as if the cross had already happened. <laughs> he reached out to someone who was alone. So, living in the spirit of the cross is related to belonging to him through the cross. While belonging to God absolutely starts with the cross, the spirit of the cross should never leave us as if, as in the life of Jesus, that spirit of sacrifice should infuse every part of our lives. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, if anyone would come after me, if you're really going to follow me, if you want to belong to me, then you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. And that's, that's a phrase that many of us have read over and over, and we're like, what does that mean? Sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Deny myself, it makes some sense, but what does it mean to take up my cross if I'm not really on a cross? So, there are other directions that we could go when it comes to the meaning of this. But in the context of relationship and aloneness, there are ways that we can belong to Jesus through the cross. And this is not covering everything you've ever heard 
about the cross and about the theology and the meaning behind it. Again, this series is more about taking kind of a, a pigeonhole view through the eyes of relationship. So how can we belong to Jesus through the cross? Number one, we must first come to terms with the reality of our aloneness. Or, if you've been involved in the series before, our sin or our autonomy. I, I live life alone. That doesn't mean I'm alone, I don't have people around me, but Adam and Eve made an autonomous decision apart from God to live their lives. They were going to live life on their own terms. That's autonomy. So that's where sin comes from, fallenness and separation and aloneness. So part of the, the, the dy- dynamic with, with Jesus and the woman at the well was to assess her aloneness, to get her to, in some sense, come to terms with her aloneness in order so that she could properly and fully belong to him as the Messiah. Matthew 9. <clears throat> Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And had they, these same people seen him talking to this Samaritan woman, they would have asked the same question. What, what are you doing with, the, with this woman? Why does he spend time with tax collectors and sinners? He's supposed to be a holy man. And Jesus hear the, hears this and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. And Jesus was often a one to play with words. And I don't think he's being literal here. I mean, he's talking, he's giving a literal example. But but the point that he was making was, you know what, all of you are sick. (laughs) All of you are sinful. And that was the analogy. I came to work with people that are not just sick, but people who admit they're sick. <laughs> and a bunch of the guys and the people in the room did not admit <clears throat> that they had that need. Again, the relationship, aloneness, sin. So we need to come to terms with our aloneness. That's the beginning, right? That's the very beginning. In recovery meetings, you got to get past the, de- the denial. <laughs> but we're recovering from a life of sin in, in order to choose God and give our lives to him, you have to start with that level of honesty. How am I alone? How am I living my life on my own terms? And what are the consequences? Right? Jesus came and joined this woman, assessing the consequences. Right? You have, you've had five husbands. The guy you're living with right now, you know, in that culture, if you were living with somebody, and the Samaritans were very devout in many ways. They followed the Torah heavily. So they weren't too loosey-goosey. So a woman like that would have been ostracized. So she had to come to terms with the consequences of her aloneness. And then seeing Jesus offering her living water, she was able to belong to him because she knew that she was sick. So that's, that's one. Two, we must surrender our aloneness, our autonomy, our sin, which is our desire to live life on our own terms. So Many of you say, all right, this is like an altar call, a crusade. Yes, this is, this, these are things that we ask people to do. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Admit your sin and your need for a savior. These are things that we call non-Christians to do. And Maybe there are some non-Christians in the room. However, I don't believe this, this mindset should ever leave us. <laughs> right? we, we don't become instant perfect people upon confessing Christ, being baptized doesn't happen. 
Doesn't happen to me. So, so we belong to him through the cross by surrendering our aloneness. We, and that, to me, is a, is a daily choice. I have to make that decision because I still have choice as a Christian. I can still go back to my old flesh. And it happens all the time. Galatians 5 says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So through the power of the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can crucify. This is part of what it means to take up your cross. We actually, we're, we're living sacrifices. We are crucifying our flesh, our desires, our desire to live alone, our autonomy. But we can't do that without what Jesus did on the cross and this Holy Spirit working through us. But but this is a a two-way relationship, and we have to make that choice, right? If you really want to follow him and take up your cross, you need to, to deny yourself. You need to deny yourself. And that means surrendering your aloneness. Number three, we need to remain humble. Never forgetting the, sh- the aloneness that brought us to him in the first place. Whoever lacks, this is Peter's letter, whoever lacks things like faith, virtue, love, he gives a big long list, that person is both nearsighted and blind. And they have forgotten that they were cleansed from former sins. They have forgotten that they were cleansed from former sins. Again, we walk through this progression of, of Christian maturity and we make a, and our character starts to change and we live in successes morally in other ways that we hadn't lived in before. And it get, gets a little easy to forget that we were cleansed from former sins. I don't think we get born again more than once. But I can come to God every day at a place where I say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need to surrender my aloneness, my autonomy. I need to give that to you. And I can't really do that unless I have a full heart remembering the level of repentance and need that I had at the beginning. The problem with the Pharisees, the problem with so many of us at times, is they'd forgotten. If they'd ever lived at a place of repentance and need to belong to Jesus in assessing their aloneness, they'd forgotten what that was like. So we don't want to live in the two extremes. We don't want to be at the place where we're just wallowing in our sin and in our, in our condemnation. We don't want to live that way. We also don't want to be on the opposite extreme where we're just in such victory and confidence where we don't ever assess the fact that we need God from sometimes minute to minute. We, don't, we want to live in a level of balance, and that's important to know. So we must remain humble. We can't forget. Number four, we must join others in their aloneness, like Jesus did. We must invite them to belong. So you can see how this builds on each other. If, again, we have a lot of people who work with others who are in need. Students, people in the streets, coworkers. If you build any kind of relationship at the embassy or anywhere else, you're going to see people's needs show up. So how do we respond to those needs? We need to understand that their need is our need. 
It may not be specifically the same, but we are at the same place of need. And like we talked about this, uh, I think this morning, Jesus was without sin. But, but one of the beauties of his life, for me as a Christian, is that in his humanity, he needed God absolutely as much as I do. He had the same level of need for God that you and I do in our humanity. Therefore, he was able to model in a realistic way how to turn to God, how to belong to God from a human perspective. Because if he's just this superhuman divine guy, you know, what, what do I have to do with that? How can I model that? How can I follow that? No, he needed God in the same way that you and I do. He understood what it was to be separated and alone and weak you know, all these kinds of things. So if we don't do that, if we don't assess that in our own lives and model Jesus in the, in, in the level of aloneness that he experienced, we'll never be able to do what we're called to do as Christians, which is to invite others to belong, to help meet people's physical, spiritual, eternal needs. People want you to come alongside like Jesus came to the woman and, and, and identify. They want you to truly empathize and not say, hey, come to my church so you can actually be a good person. No one ever says that, but <laughs> sometimes that's the way it shows up in our hearts. So we live in this balance. The fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection. There's a tension, but that's what it means to know Christ. We don't lose sight of what it means to be alone. Jesus, even in his ascended, exalted state, as we hear about in Revelation, still bears the marks of his suffering. He is at the right hand of God. He is in all power and glory and judgment and all that. But he's, he hasn't left the remembrance of what he, what he suffered. I think maybe that has something to do with him, but it also has something to do with us. That there is no level of maturity or victory that we should ever get to in this fallen world where we lose sight of what it means to be alone, of what it means to suffer. Because ultimately, we need to be thinking about God and other people. And we need to join them in order to invite them. We need to join in order to invite. Luke 4, Jesus says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And if you were some guy that said, I have everything all together and life's great and come on, do my thing, I don't think he would have ever been effective at doing that, at least from a relational standpoint. That was his mission, to reach to the people that were, lived their lives under the effects and consequences of being alone. That was his mission. But he had, the reason he was able to do that is because he experienced rejection as well. The heart of God, we see in Psalm 68, is to make a home for the lonely. He heads out, or he leads out, the prisoners into prosperity. So we see Matthew 25, feed the, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, visit people in prison. We all have areas where we're spiritually hungry, emotionally hungry, where we're isolated, where we're in prison, mentally, whatever, right? God wants to reach those people, but we have to understand that their need is our need, right? We are all in need of a Savior. We all have different gifts and, and different ways that we can contribute that are very unique. But the one commonality that we all have is that we all need God. We all need to belong, and we still feel the effects of aloneness. 
I'm going to close with God's fervent desire for us to belong. This is a, an Old Testament passage, but again, it gets back to the fact that God is divine, He is sovereign, but He is personal. He's not some God that's up there that doesn't care about us. He has an invested interest in us belonging to Him. Hosea 11 says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called him, the more they went from him. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms. I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bet down and I fed them. The intimacy of God is so surprising, and we forget about it so often because he's up there. But Jesus came here. He joined us in our suffering. He joined us in our separation. And he invited us to belong to God. Those are the two areas that we, we want to live in. That, to me, is one part of what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. We don't forget about the resurrection. We live in that victory. We proclaim that victory. But we never lose sight of the cross. Next week, I'm going to be transitioning into more about the love of God in a relationship. And I'm going to be talking about the fact that God so loves the world, but also God so loves me. God so loves you. God loves us. That's why he sent us his son, and I'm excited to share about that because I'm going to be getting a little bit more into my personal story. I did some of that back in May, but I'm going to be sharing some more intimate details about the time where God showed me beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved me, that he wanted me to belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we were so joyous that the things that we just take for granted in life, our relationships, our friendships, the dynamics of what it means to be a parent, a husband, a wife, a friend, a grandmother, that these are dynamics that you, Lord, created. You created everything and you created relationship. And you are a God who desires personal relationship with every one of us. So, Lord, I just ask that we understand the, the, the dynamics and the, the requirements for a relationship with you. That Jesus solved the ultimate requirement on the cross 2,000 years ago. But we can live with the heart and the spirit of the cross. Whether it means assessing and understanding our aloneness, laying it down before you in surrender, walking so that we can join others in their aloneness, and live in the celebration and the joy and the victory of your love and what it means to belong to you. I thank you for these things and for the safety and the guidance of those who live here in Tegucigalpa in the name of Jesus. I'm going to close with an encouragement from God to you. Jacob, in Genesis 28, he tells him, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go 
and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I love that. So, God will not leave you this week. God will not forsake you. God will protect you. Let's hold to that level of faith, knowing that in belonging to Him, He's got us. He's going to take care of us. Have a great week. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.